World's Finest Podcast, Episode 18. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you? Uh, miserable, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm better than miserable. Do you want to explain why you're miserable to our listeners? Uh, let's see. Um, apparently when the coolant in your car gets mixed up with the oil inside the engine, bad things happen, and it costs $1,600 to fix. Ow. Yeah, ow. Yeah, I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. I am screwed. What's that mean for your car? I mean, is it completely... Okay, before any of our listeners start going, what the hell kind of question is that, understand that I know two things about cars. I know where the gas goes. I know where the washer fluid goes. That's it. That's all I know about cars. <laughs> no, no, I take that back. I can change my taillights. I can do that, too. Okay? So I know three things about cars. So... Okay, yes, it's a stupid question, but what does this mean? Does it mean your car is completely undrivable? Does it start smoking? Does I mean, what is it just saying basically, what happens? Basically, what happens is when I crank the car up, uh, it, it makes a sound like me banging my cell phone on a desk <laughs> over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. So, yeah, yeah it's, not dri- it's not drivable. No. It's sitting at a, dealership, a GM dealership right now. Uh, Doing, getting looked at. So, I don't know what I'm. No, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I guess I'm just going to put it on one of these two credit cards that I just recently acquired. <laughs> so, that's about all I can do right now because I know I don't have sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah, how are you getting to and from work? Uh, parents, brother. My brother <laughs> works at the same store I do, so oh, I've been okay. able to procure rides from him when I work. Give the same when I have the same shift as him. But yeah, it sucks not having a car. <laughs> Yeah, oh my god, bicycle? does it suck. <laughs> uh, you know, even though the, my job is like seven, eight minutes from my house, uh, the bicycle would take uh, like a year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. But uh, anyway, enough of my misery. How about you? I'm good. You know, I got, you know, I got stuff to complain about, but nothing like that. So I'll, <laughs> I'll stay mum. You know, most of my complaints are work complaints. That's it, you know. Well, it's like I always say, just because... Uh, one person may be miserable doesn't make your misery any less, uh, you know, bearable. That's true. So it's like that is true. Yeah. Uh, no. My at least we're not getting into a pissing contest here. <laughs> no. Oh, no. I'm my my life is worse than yours. I don't know. <laughs> no. My, my, like I said, my complaints are work related. It's it's just the ineptitude of the uh, my higher ups. I guess I'll say. You know, the other day this I work at a college. For those of you that don't know. And sort of, I'd be considered support staff. And the other day, one of the teachers comes in. He's like, hey, Mike, what time are you leaving? And I'm like, 4 o'clock. And it was like 3.15. And he's like, oh, okay, you know that project I gave you the other day? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you finish it? I'm like, no, you didn't give me a deadline. Why would I have worked on it? I had other things to do before it, you know? It's like Mm -hmm. if people gave me a deadline, I'll work on that project. But if they don't give me a deadline, well, it gets set on the back burner 
so I can work on the things that I do have a deadline for. So he's like, oh, okay, well, if you can get to that, that'd be great. But if you can't, whatever. So then, mind you, I told him I'm leaving at 4. He comes back at 3.55 asking if it's done. And I'm like, dude, I told you, it's like low priority. What do you want? So I had, I was meeting up with a friend at four o'clock. We were going to go get like a late lunch, early dinner, whatever you want to call it. And so I ended up being like 20 minutes late for this appointment I had because this guy wanted me to rush this freaking project for him. I'm like, what the hell? You know, it's just, it's just irksome how people in the department I work in, they do that all the time. They'll, they'll give you a project. They'll tell you it's low priority. And then they come back to you a few days later, like, getting mad at you because it's not done, even though you had more important things to work on. That's so, why I love Dilbert so much. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like I never officially worked in an office environment, you know, with cubicles and all that. But Jenny did for a while. And I heard her horror stories. And so when I read Dilbert, I was like, there you go. That's exactly what Jenny described. And to a lesser extent, that's what I experienced where I work. And to some extent, it was what I experienced when I worked at Best Buy. Just some of the freaking ineptitude of the management. <laughs> yeah, I know all about ineptitude in Best Buy. <laughs> Three misspelled credit cards and uh, four trips out to 40-minute you know, drives out to other cities and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Uh, so, should we address why we're not asking each other what we did for Christmas? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Mike, why are we not addressing what we got for Christmas? Because we're recording this before Christmas. That's why, Mr. Doe. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this the day this first airs, that would be Wednesday, December 26th. Um, obviously, James and I weren't going to sit down to record this on Christmas freaking night, you know, we have to be or Christmas our, Eve or Christmas Eve or anything like that. We have to be with our families and whatnot. So we're actually recording this like literally a week before Christmas. So I'm sure we'll be asking each other what we did for Christmas, you know, a week or so into January <laughs> during episode 19. It'll be a little late, but you know, you'll, you'll still find out what we did for Christmas, what we got for Christmas. So yeah, before recording, James kind of mentioned that, you know, people are going to wonder why we didn't bring up Christmas. Well, that's why we didn't bring it up, folks. They're, we're going to pull the curtain back a little. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh God. And by then I'll be a quarter century old. <laughs> that is true. Oh, poor baby. Yeah, New Year's Eve birthday. It's it's the greatest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I turned 30 in a few months, sir, so you can keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what else is going on? Anything? No, nothing really. Just putting the finishing touches on Christmas shopping, and I'm really all but done. I think I have to get one gift for my sister and a few tiny things here and there, and I'm finished. It feels good. Oh yeah, I'm finished, and I'm glad I finished before this uh, little this little car trouble came up. Uh huh, uh huh. That would have been a bitch. Hey, but at least you yeah. could have used it as an excuse for not getting Christmas shopping done. <laughs> no, then they'd be like, "Well, why didn't you buy them earlier?" Oh, <laughs> uh, do you want to get into some emails? Yeah, let's get into emails. Oh, okay. And let's see. Our first one today is from Thomas. Uh, he writes, "Hey guys, here's another in vitro email." Number one, I've been watching this latest season of The Batman, as well as Mike, and I'm still not impressed. No. I, really have, I really have a problem with the much more science fiction-y versions of the characters and the versions of the DC characters that have popped up, uh, that have popped up, have been lacking, although I rather like the version of Mirror Master in the series, voiced, voiced by John Larroquette. 
And Ring Toss, I don't know. I had a serious, serious problem with the way the Penguin is used for comedy, and why, why is it always Sinestro when they go to look for a Green Lantern villain? Because Green Lantern oh. has no other villains, except yeah. Star Sapphire, or whatever or, her name was. Or, or uh, what's his face, Dr. Polaris, maybe? I don't know. Uh, right. it's, it's, it's basically, Sinestro is Green Lantern's Luthor. He's the he's Green Lantern's uh, Green Goblin. It's it's his most famous villain, so that's who you go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's he's the most powerful villain he has. He's a former Green Lantern, you know, so he's got that going for him. It shows you the opposite side of the Green Lantern core. So I don't mind that they go to that well. And he goes on to say, "Oh, and Green Arrow showed up in the third episode in the season in a rather watered down version that linked his origin to Count Vertigo." Oh, yeah. Number two, I'm so glad you guys like Baby Doll. Woot. She remains my favorite of all the original characters Tim and company created for BTAS. Yes, even more than Harley Quinn. Part of it is just the sheer pa- uh, pathos of the character, forced to live in a past she tried so desperately to leave behind. And as per- perfect as Alison LaPlaca was, and James did get the pronunciation right the first time, I'm not sure which pronunciation that was, so I'm just going to go with what I just said. <laughs> and we're talking an actress I had a serious crush on when I was younger. Ooh la la. I love the fact that they got an actual child uh, that they got actual child television stars to do voice talents in this episode, most particularly Robbie Rist as the cousin. The team does this again to a similar effect in a much lesser episode in Make Them Laugh, where the three comedians who turn to be quote-unquote supervillains by the Joker are voiced by actual comedians Richard Jenny, Andrea Martin, and Grant Schaub. My love of Baby Doll, the episode and the character, notwithstanding, I felt later later use of her was seriously lacking, particularly the episode in Gotham Knight series, which which sees Jane try to build a family with Killer Croc. Croc seems woefully out of place. A much better fit to me would be the toy man from Superman, who is also who also is an adult seeking to, quote-unquote, never grow up. I completely forgot that she came back. I thought this was the only time we saw her. Yeah. But then when I, I when this email came in and I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, they have that. Don't they have, like, a house in the sewers or something? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Hmm. I forgot about that, too. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not even close to as strong as an episode. No, no, no. I, and when I'm saying, yeah, I'm not excited that... The episode exists. I'm just excited that I'm actually mm-hmm. remembering it because I completely forgot the damn thing. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number three, about Lion and the Unicorn and its use of the op- old opening animation. It, along with the two-part Shadow of the Bat showdown and Catwalk, I think, I'm recalling this all from memory here, were part of what I like to call Batman the Animated Series Season 3.5, episodes that were dumped without fanfare onto Fox's afternoon lineup for one week in the summer during the year the year-plus gap before BTAS became the adventures of Batman and Robin. I uh, didn't care for it nearly as much as you did, mainly because I could never stand Red Claw and her phone Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle personality. <laughs> yeah, that episode could have been a lot better. And mind you, I love that episode. It could have been a lot better with a stronger villain, but I think they did a good job using Red Claw in that episode. Uh, Number four, concerning MI5 and MI6, they both exist with one, MI5, acting on domestic situations and MI6 dealing with situations outside England. Hmm. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, I thought there was like one and then it just changed into the other one some years down the line. So cool. Um, Out of curiosity, was there an MI1, 2, 3, 4? Is there a 7? Write in and let us know. Okay. Because I'm too lazy to look it up. (laughs) And number five, I loved Showdown. In all caps. I love the Joe Lansdale Jonah Hex miniseries and the character of Hex, period. 
and I loved how they translated the character into the DCAU. Apparently, Fox hated the episode, huh. which is why it was dumped sans fanfare in the previously cited week. Hate to hear that. I really do. Yeah. Other episodes Fox hated, one, the one focused on the Firefly that ended up being used as a Gotham Knights episode, and one featuring the Doug Mionk? I think it's Munch or Mench. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Vampirus wannabe not turned that never aired. And the best part of the episodes, besides a crack, uh, cracking great Jonah Hex adventure, a rare look at Raish as a man and not a villain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about Hex's appearance in Justice League Unlimited was the, li- was the line that pretty much acknowledges that some version of the Three Lansdale miniseries occurred in the DCAU. More if it becomes necessary, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank, thank you very much, Tom. And our next email is from Matthew Kirkpatrick. He writes, hey guys, just a quick note about the episode Second Chance. You were debating about why Penguin would even give a crap about Two-Face. Well, perhaps Two-Face was getting his Christmas shopping done, and when he picked up those two turtle doves, perhaps it sent Penguin into an uncontrollable fit of rage. Oh well, who knows? Keep those episodes coming, Matthew. (laughs) That's awesome. I I guess that's as good an explanation as any. Yeah, pretty much so. (laughs) Okay, and our next ep- uh, episode, God, what am I doing? <laughs> our next email is from Tobias. He writes, In the line in the Unicorn, the Blitz, which was referred to, was not the Blitzkrieg like which struck Poland and France. England being an island makes makes tank rushes difficult. It does, in fact, refer to the bombing of Great Britain, a.k.a. the London Blitz. Thank you for clearing that up. Actually, I think Stavros on the forums also uh, chimed in on this matter, too. So Yeah, the email came in first, though. So, yeah. I mean, I give credit to both guys, but uh, Tobias's email did come in first. Okay. And uh, let's see, our final email today is from Mindy. She writes, hello, Bat Boys. This will be short and sweet. Uh, this, uh, I should say, this email concerns uh, the uh, gender of Buster the Dog from Baby Doll. Yeah, for those of you who didn't listen to episode 17, um, there's this stuffed dog that's on like kind of like a, a platform with wheels. Imagine a skateboard, basically, and Baby Doll's pulling it behind her, and they refer to the dog as a he, yet the dog clearly has nipples, and it looks like she's it's ready to nurse. So <laughs> I was like, hey, what's going on here? And Mindy is responding to that. Uh, and Mike, you guys, go back and listen to that, because it's just hilarious on so many levels. <laughs> Anyway, she writes, Hello, Bat Boys. This will be short and sweet. Buster probably has the Lassie complex. Lassie, the character, is a girl, but most of the actor dogs were boys. The end. Mindy. <laughs> I didn't know that about Lassie. Did you? Yeah, I did. I just, you know, it was just one of those things I'd kind of forgotten about over the years. Well, that'll do it for emails. Our first episode today is Harley's Holiday. Uh, in this episode, Harley has made incredible strides with the psychiatrists at Arkham Asylum and is being released on her own recognizance. Uh, and she's having a tough time of it back in the real world, uh, as Harley Quinzel, normal, everyday blonde. Uh, everything that could possibly go wrong for her goes wrong. She... She buys a dress perfectly, you know, she legally just take, you know, pays for the dress in a department store, and she's walking out, and the alarm trips for some reason, and the, the guard comes up just to remove the security tag, and she thinks that, uh, he, that he thinks that she was stealing it, and so she goes into a fit of rage and starts breaking stuff, and everything just goes to hell. One thing leads to another. Veronica Vreeland, she ends up uh, 
accidentally kidnapping Veronica Vreeland, and they drive all over the city with Wins and her father, who's uh, I guess a general in the military, gets involved and starts riding a tank down the streets of Gotham City. So you can kind of get the sense that this episode is not the most serious of all episodes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But that's really what this episode is all about. Just one, It's one thing leading to another, leading to another, leading to another. Harley just gets, her luck just gets worse and worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. until she finally ends up back in Arkham, albeit not like, you know, handcuffed and uh, being dragged in there. It's it's actually kind of, they kind of, I don't know, what, they kind of make make it to where it seems like may, maybe one day she'll get back out and have another chance. Yeah, because she she really wanted to make a go of it this time. She really did, and you know, just she, basically, she had one bad day, and yep. um, wound up back in there. And the doctors and Batman all realized that she's close to being rehabilitated because she wanted to be. Um, and that's always the first step. You have to want the help that people are willing to give you. Um, but she's just not there yet. She needs a little more time to understand that she can't roller skate down the street while being pulled by hyenas, that she can't take a swing at a security guard with a mannequin's arm just because he you know, is trying to get the security tag off her dress. She has to realize that she can't, you know, kidnap a woman and steal a car the second everything goes <laughs> down the crapper. I mean, basically, she has to learn how to deal with her anger uh, issues and uh, stress. Um, and once she can do that, then she'll be much better and possibly could live a sane and normal life. But until then, she's in the asylum. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are your initial thoughts about this one? Um. You know, it's it's really kind of a a sad episode in a way, but it's you know, like I said a minute ago, it's it's actually a pretty uh, pretty funny episode. Uh, Harley pulls off, you know, Arlene Sorkin pulls off another incredible performance here. Uh, the one thing that kind of detracted from the episode for me, I think, was the animation in that it was too cartoony. Really? Yeah. I love the animation in this one because it's cartoony. Well, it's not bad. I just think, for me, it kind of detracts from it. See, but. okay, had this been a Riddler episode, a Scarecrow episode, a Two-Face episode, I'd be right there with you. But this is a Harley Quinn episode because she is a living, <laughs> if a cartoon character can be living, cartoon character in Batman's world. It makes sense for this animation to be a little lighter, a little more fluid in terms of the way the characters move. Um, so, yeah, I, I was looking at this going, this works for me. This absolutely works for me. I thought the animation was spot on beautiful. What I liked about the animation was that it was the, the it was well defined. The lines were really well drawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, maybe maybe if I, as we go along here, I'll think, yeah, well, maybe I was maybe I was too hard on the animation. Mm-hmm. But you you might have a point there because it's just it's just Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But like I said, any other character, excluding the Joker, I, like I said, I, I'd agree with you. But because she's a cartoon character. Like I said, she's supposed to be a cartoon character in the quote-unquote real world. It fits. It's supposed to be bouncy. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really cool in that not once did the Joker show up or was he even mentioned mm-hmm. in this episode. I thought that I thought that was a, a good way to go with it because if you even if you mention the Joker or have him appear, then it just buries Harley Quinn. 
So Right, that's the whole reason Batman never appeared in Teen Titans, mm-hmm. was because Robin is the leader, but the second Batman shows up, there's a new leader in town, and you can't have that. So, as you said, it's the same thing here, where this is supposed to be a Harley episode, not a Joker and Harley episode, and if the Joker's there, we're, we're reminded that she's always under his spell where, you know, his personality is going to take over. It's going to overshadow hers. And that's a pretty hard thing to do because she has such a strong personality to begin with, but it's going to happen. So, yeah, it was a risky move for them to do it, but it paid off at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, the Scarecrow, Harley, Robin, uh, little exchange there at the beginning of the episode, it was really funny, but I don't know if, I don't know if I buy Crane acting like that. He seemed more most of the time he seems to be pretty reserved when he's not laughing. Mm-hmm. So, but like it, it was funny. It really was a funny exchange. But uh, yeah, just it's something nagging about it to me. No, I'm right there with you. That's one of the very few uh, quibbles I have with this episode. Is that I mean Crane is a smart guy. You know he is going to use those you know fifty cent words that he was using and all that, but he seemed more insane than we've ever seen him before. In the past, he's always just been obsessed with fear, and that was it. And here, he was just, like, totally off the deep end. I I didn't understand where that was coming from, that characterization. Like like he'd never been apprehended by Batman before. Right, yeah. I just didn't understand why he was reacting that way. But speaking of reactions, I did love the way the hyenas reacted to Bruce Wayne in the department store. Yes, that was wonderful. Uh, and first, you know, first time watchers of the episode might think, "Uh oh, she she knows it's Batman." <laughs> but then, but then she's like, "Oh, you're the boy billionaire," which actually make, makes me want to question it. Uh, boy billionaire? I mean, the guy is how old now? <laughs> or is she, or is she just hearkening back to when he was eight years old and his parents were murdered? No, I think what she's calling attention to is his public persona. And that's that Bruce Wayne doesn't do a whole lot lot of anything. That he just, you know, stumbled upon his parents' money, which was invested wisely for him, thus making him a boy billionaire. Because even though Bruce is a very savvy businessman, that's not the persona he puts off. So Mm -hmm. that's the persona she's going to know. So I think the nickname she gave him fit. Yeah. Um... But getting back to the the scene in the in the uh, department store where she's got her hand over his eyes and she's like, "There's something about that chin." I love the body language that Bruce puts off in that scene because he stiffens up. He's like, "Oh shit!" I mean, he's in the middle of the store. Veronica's around somewhere. There's other people around, and she's about to call him Batman. And then once she says, you're Bruce Wayne, the boy billionaire, he totally relaxes. You you can almost hear him sigh uh, out of relief, like, oh, my God, this quack job didn't figure it out. Because you know her, <laughs> she would have blurted it from the roofs, like, wow, I figured it out. But <laughs> yep. she didn't. She went a completely other direction, and it was perfect. It, nothing is said. He doesn't actually sigh. It's just his body just eases up. It was almost as if he was a soldier who was told to be at ease, where he, you just saw him relax a little, like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And, you know, more great voice acting from Sorkin there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the... Another part of the department store was, uh, don't come near me, I'm armed, <laughs> with the mannequin arm in her hand. That That's funny. Yeah, you I'm know sorry. What? This episode's filled with a lot of puns and kind of corny jokes, 
And normally I'd roll my eyes at that. But again, we have to look at who this episode is focusing on. Because this is Harley Quinn, and because the jokes are actually handled well, I... They're actually pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. I appreciate them in this episode a lot. Um, Again, I think the animation, the jokes... Um, the characterization, they all come together to make this just splendid episode. I mean, this is one of those episodes that I can literally just sit down to watch to have fun. I, mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a pen in my hand. There's no notepad near me. You know, I'm just sitting there chilling, watching this episode. That's how good this one is. In the past, we've mentioned... And actually, it was a listener who, I believe, uh, mentioned it to us in an email that said, sometimes you need those lighthearted episodes to break up the kind of darker episodes. And we agreed with that. We just said we wished those lighthearted episodes were really good. I think that was in reference to uh, Christmas with the Joker, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was. Oh, God, I hate that episode. Anyways, this this is the perfect example of one of those lighthearted episodes. If all of the lighthearted episodes were this good, if there was this much thought and love and care put into them, I would have no problem with a 50-50 mix or even a 60-40 mix with more lighthearted episodes than the darker episodes. Because, as you said earlier, it's a it's a very happy, joyful episode, but at the same time, if you actually examine what's happening to Harley, it's pretty damn sad. Yeah. This woman you... really wanted her life back on track, and she felt that she couldn't get that. And the truth is, she'll never get that. She never will. She could be deemed completely sane, and everybody's going to look at her as the Joker's girlfriend. There's no way she's going to get beyond that. And this episode shows that. Even though that's not exactly what happens here. You know, mm-hmm. she gets mixed up in something that wasn't even that big of a deal. It still shows you that that could happen down the line. And it will happen down the line. So, yeah, sad and happy at the same time. Happy only because it's bouncier and cartoony. It's, it's like you feel ba- as bad as you did when the penguin was trying to reform right. in Birds of a Feather. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Um and this episode also has uh, great continuity, like with the gangsters from Harley Quinnade. Being uh, when uh, Harley and Veronica are in the in that sleazy club, those are the same guys from Harley Quinnade. Right. So it's nice, a nice little bit of continuity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and he even mentions the last time I helped you, Dane, you brought Batman on me. You know, mm-hmm. like cool, very cool. <laughs> yeah, and she, and I love how the. Uh, she she weaseled her way out of it too. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another another very very humorous moment was uh, Robin making nunchucks out of fish. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I I get a kick out of that every time I watch this episode. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what. You know the reason that works for me is because they parallel it with Batman being very serious with a stick. Batman's getting all, you know, he's becoming all karate master with with that stick kicking those guys' asses. And then they cut to Robin turning fish into nunchucks. And then they cut back to Batman. And then back to Robin. And then Robin's throwing fish at people. So I think if it was just Robin using the fish, I'd roll my eyes. But because they showed you this is how Batman fights and this is how Robin fights, again, it's a cartoony episode, so you let it slide. It works. 
Yeah. You know, because well, they, 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 they showed you. Because you know what they were basically showing you? Is that Robin really does know how to fight, but he wants to have fun doing it. Batman's going to sit there and beat you up with a proper weapon, that being a stick. Robin's going to find something he can have fun with. In this case, a couple of fish. But he could still seriously kick your ass with those fish. <laughs> yep. And we're going to see more of this in the next episode, where Robin is constantly making wisecracks, even though Batman is getting more and more pissed off. But we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Oh, yeah, there's one line in that episode that's, ooh. That, oh, you're right, right, right. We'll get to that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, one thing that, that bugged me about this episode, though, was um, how in the name of God did that general get that tank into the streets of Gotham without anybody knowing? I know. It's, it, it's one of those... It's one of those things where you just scratch your head and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, okay, it's it's a cartoonier episode, but at the same time, that's, that's a little yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, he's in Gordon's office and he calls in a code red, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. And what, that gives him the authority to go shooting a tank through, a, a, you know, a, a fucking metropolis? I don't think so. Um, and then worse yet, worse yet, is he shooting at the car that his daughter is in? He's, okay, I mean, we understand that he wants to save his baby girl. That's fine, that's commendable. He's going over the top, sure. But he's going to save her by blowing up the car that she's in? He's going to save her by running it over running at over. the very end? <laughs> it's like, what was this guy thinking? I was really hoping at the end, Veronica was like, oh, daddy, you saved me. And then, like, kind of give him a playful little slap across the face. Like, and how dare you try to run me over? And then they hug again, letting you know that that's just kind of their relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. It's and so hate- ridiculous. I hate Veronica Reeland with the fire of a thousand hells anyway, so but I wouldn't have minded if she had gotten run over. But but yeah, it, in in terms of being an an, an unbiased uh, reviewer here, I've I've uh, I've got to agree. It's it's just absurd. <laughs> you know, upon watching this episode, I think I figured out what's going on with Veronica. At least when okay. it comes to the uh, producers, directors, writers of these episodes, I think that they realized what they did with her in the first episode she appeared in, and that would be the episode with the penguin. Birds of a feather, feather, right. Um, In that one, they made her such a despicable character that I think they realized there was no way to really redeem her because of what she did. Again, we've said this time and time again, that she gave the penguin a new reason to stage his, uh, you know, criminal escapades, okay? Well... Mm -hmm. So I think what they did, instead of trying to redeem her, they just turned her into a comedic character. So, I mean, if you think about it, what's happened to her so far is, you know, she invited the Penguin to that party, which started this whole thing. Then after that, there was the, the Mayan guy that invaded her uh, her homecoming, correct? Right. Then uh, when they were opening up that uh, exhibit at the museum, Catwoman got in her face. And now Harley Quinn has abducted her. And before Harley abducts her, Harley mentions that she and the Joker busted up another one of Veronica's parties in a scene we never got to see. 
So Veronica, five times, Veronica has had run-ins with these supervillains, and four of them have been at parties or some sort of social gathering with, like I said, soiree. Right, exactly. So I think they're just making a complete joke out of that character and out of her life. Because remember, she wanted the penguin in her life to make her the life of the party, and now that she's done that, she can't keep these creeps out of her life. So I think that's what they're doing. Poetic with her. justice, exactly, and that's why they keep introducing her and keep putting her in these ridiculous situations like this. That said, I actually liked her in this episode. Yeah, she wasn't all that bad in this episode. I just, I, I just like to say that I hate her because I do. <laughs> no, and I think that's fair. I think it's absolutely fair to dislike the character, but I'm just saying, you know. Credit where credit is due. They did a really good job of making her somewhat likable in this mm-hmm. episode. Um, yeah, she she actually provided a good foil for Harley. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of Thelma and Louise light, except the, there weren't any purposeful crimes happening or anything. <laughs> it was just kind of just like the theme of this episode. Just, it just happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this whole episode is just a chase scene. That's it. Yeah. The characters, once Harley steals the car, they never stop running. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're, they're driving the car, Batman's chasing them, Harvey Bullock's chasing them, the, the dad in the tank is chasing them, they go to the mobsters, the mobsters start chasing them, you know, everybody's chasing everybody by the time this episode ends, and... There's a four-way crash. Yeah, yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> speaking of crashes, there was something I noted in this episode. Harvey Bullock crashes his car a total of four times. Four times that poor guy gets run off the road. Yep. <laughs> he almost gets decapitated in one of yeah, them. Yeah, I know. He, uh, I'm trying to remember. He, the girls run him off the road, and he sideswipes a car. Then he, uh, shoot, I think he, he hits a fire hydrant, right? Yeah, and then he runs under the tanker, which almost cuts him in half. Uh huh. And then his car gets crushed or hit by the tank. <laughs> yeah. It's like, poor guy, poor, poor guy. And then what's funny is um, in the next episode, he's in another car accident. Um, and I don't, I think it's in Make Him Laugh. He gets in another car accident right away. Mm-hmm. It's, if it's not Make Him Laugh, it's the next episode after that. I mean, it's like, this poor guy's cars. <laughs> oh, no, you know what I, it is? He's not in another car accident at that final time. The, in Make Him Laugh, the condiment king falls on top of the car he and Montoya are in. That's what yep. it is. So That's three is, episodes yeah. in a row, his cars are just absolutely totaled. Oh, poor Harvey. <laughs> well, he gets he gets to at least uh, exact his revenge on the mobster guy. Yeah, that is true. It was chasing after Veronica and Harley. <laughs> yeah, I was I was glad that they allowed Harvey to do something. He just didn't yeah. he just wasn't there for comedic relief. I mean at the end he actually, you know, becomes a cop again and he carts this guy off. Because um, they could have just forgot about him, had him, mm-hmm. you know, he was there for the chase, and then Batman does what he does, and Harvey gets to just walk away or be forgotten. No, he actually does pl- kind of play an important role. And everything comes a full circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, and now that I've gotten over a few minutes ago, just over the gripes I have with this episode, I'd like to uh, really commend them for the final scene of this episode. Mm-hmm. It was really a really beautiful scene. Um and even before the lead-in, where uh, Batman catches Harley from falling off the building, and she she's about to be sick and throw up on his cape, and, but she's like a it's like she's a small child that's that's like that wants to just cry and and hates the world right now. And then she goes back to Arkham. She's she's depressed. She you know she's trying to put a smile on her face, and Batman comes and 
consoles her and said, I had a bad day once, too. Which, I, I gotta love that reference anytime it pops up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then and then she kisses him pretty passionately, actually. Well, she kisses him after he gives her the dress. Right. He, 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 he had it in his belt or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, where the hell was he keeping it? I have no idea, you know. Hopefully the dress was wrinkle-proof, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, but, but I think he even pulled it out on the hanger. Yeah, he did. Yeah, where was that <laughs> hanger going? Oh Jesus! <laughs> uh, never mind. I, I, you know what? Forget I even asked. <laughs> but anyway, overall though, that the scene it really was a very very nice scene to end the episode with. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I would say about that scene uh, is, and it's really a question: is why would Poison Ivy smile at Harley kissing Batman? I don't. I don't know. I just don't get that she would smile there. And I, I like the reaction that Robin and Ivy have initially. Yeah, like, when they stare at each other, what like, whoa, the, <laughs> what the hell? Uh-huh. <laughs> but but I don't. I don't know if I buy her smiling at that. Even though Harley does have a pretty funny line, like yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever she says, it was pretty funny. Yeah. What? What? Why do you have a problem with uh, Ivy's reaction? Um, well, she hates men, she hates Batman, she doesn't want Harley to, <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't want to see Harley with Batman. I don't know, that's just, after everything we saw in Harley and Ivy, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me, that's all. I know, I just took it as, you know, Ivy just having fun, just, because they're friends. I mean, they're they're bosom buddies, maybe more, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. And I just think it was her just looking at her friend going, you silly old girl. Just like, because think about it. You know, okay, I'm going to try to psychoanalyze Harley Quinn uh, here, okay? Good luck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> she's with the Joker because she thinks that the Joker understands her, right? So she's fallen for this very odd, very abusive man who, in her mind, understands her. Now... Batman seems to understand her because he can relate to her. He said, "I had one. I had a bad day once too." So, and then he tried to make her better, you know, and show. He tried to show her that he trusts her. That down the line she'll become uh, a, a productive member of society. And he did that by giving her the dress, saying, "When you get out, you can finally wear this." So now she's looking at another strong-willed man in her life that she could maybe be with in kind of a schoolgirl kind of way. And Poison Ivy sees this. She recognizes this trait in, in Harley for, for falling for these men that have stronger personalities than her, if you will. And she's just smiling at the, the humor in it. Does that make sense? It does, except that she sees, she, Ivy has seen firsthand what Joker does to, to Harley. Mm. So, Yeah. That's that's all I'm getting at is is that kind of aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But you know, besides that, I love 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 that final scene. Yeah, no, it's it's a really great scene. It is because it's touching and it's humorous, and you know, it gives you hints as to things that I should say it gives you hints to things that might come in the future. You know, because maybe Harley will get better. Maybe she will get out. Of course, we know she doesn't, but it makes you hope for the character. It, mm-hmm. if, if this episode does anything well, and it does a lot, it does lots of things well. It really makes you hope that Harley will give up this life of crime and become Batman's spunky sidekick, <laughs> if not love <laughs> interest, you know. <laughs> yeah, 
add her to the sympathetic villains list. Yeah, this episode did kind of do that. Um, you know, one of my favorite things in this episode is earlier you'd mentioned Harley really is just like a little girl. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's really what she is. Well, like a little girl, you know, when she has, like, let's say, you know, and this doesn't just go to little girl. This is little kid in general. If a kid, little kid gets a good grade on a math test or a spelling bee or something, right, they, they come home and they show the paper to their mom and it, it's got the A on it. Hey, mommy, look what I did. You know what I'm saying? Well, mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious that when she's in the department store and she's f- first bumped into Bruce and Veronica, she pulls out her papers that say sane on them. She's so <laughs> proud that she's sane, that she's carrying this around in her handbag. I, I thought it was awesome characterization because Harley Quinn is the one character in the Batman animated series universe that would do that. She, le- mm-hmm. I mean, if any other character pulled out her sane papers or his sane papers... I would I would call foul, but it's Harley Quinn. She's going to show that around. She's going to laminate it hanging on her wall. When she heads out, she's going to tuck that frame under her arm and show everybody, look, I'm sane, I'm sane. <laughs> it, it fits. I thought that was great. Now, speaking of those papers, though, there's a slight error. It, on, on there, it clearly says her name is Harley Quinn. It's Harleen Quinzel. And yeah. it's, okay, it's a little nitpick, but it's still... You know, that's something yeah. they should have got right. Harley Quinn is not her name, her not her proper that's name. A, that's a criminal alter alter ego, right? Yeah, I mean, if if Two Face is suddenly saying they're not going to put Two Face on there, no, it's going to say Harvey Dent. Yeah, you know. So again, it, it, it's a little nitpick, but whatever. I, I overlook it because I mean, I'm mentioning it because it's there, but I overlook it because it's coupled to such a wonderful, vibrant moment in my mind. And thus we and thus we've coined the phrase. Harley Logic. Our next episode today is Lockup, and in this one, um, there's a new uh, head of security at Arkham Asylum. His name is uh, Bolton. What's his first name? Do you remember, James? Lyle. Lyle Bolton? Yeah. And... He is being uh, very abusive, extremely abusive to the inmates of the asylum. And uh, Batman figures this out. And because it was a a grant by the Wayne Foundation that brought Bolton to Arkham, uh, Wayne decides that he's going to call a special inquiry to look into uh, Bolton's practices. And uh, on the board is, uh, oh, shoot, who's the, doc- the the main doctor at Arkham? At least in the cartoon. I forgot his name. Uh, Dr. Bartholomew. Right. Uh, Bartholomew's on there. Mayor Hill's on there. I think Gordon's on there, too. And uh, mm-hmm. Wayne himself. They're all there deciding if, you know, he's going too far. And none of the criminals will speak out against him because if he's not removed from his position, he's going to then take it out on them once, uh, you know, the prying eyes are gone. Um, so, but something happens, and Bolton ends up flipping out, and he proves that he is uh, too extreme to be a uh, a prison guard, basically. And, uh, you know, about nine months passes. He's fired, of course. Nine months passes, and he returns as a criminal called Lockup. And he wants to not only bring... Uh, justice to these criminals, but he also wants to uh, basically rid the city of the politicians, the, 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 the inept police force, and the media that 
glorifies these criminals, if you will. And because he's doing that, because he's abducting and harming innocent people, Batman can't tolerate it. So he swoops in to stop, to, excuse me, to stop lockup. Before I go uh, say anything about this episode, this is two episodes in a row that we have Scarecrow being taken back to Arkham to open up an episode. I'm glad you noticed that, too. <laughs> like, what is he doing? I, I mean... Can we, can we just see an explanation of what he's up to, that he keeps getting captured over and over and over again? <laughs> anyway. Well, at um, least in this one, they kind of give us an explanation. He didn't break out in this one to go on a crime spree. He broke out to get away from Bolton. That's Remember, true. He says that. He says, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just wanted to get away from him. And then we see yeah. Bolton standing there in the shadows. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Two episodes in a row. It's like, how'd this guy get out? Now, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would have been funny if they'd just thrown in, like, Mad Hatter or somebody, just as a change of pace. Mm-hmm. But anyway. But in truth, it made sense that it was Scarecrow, because he says, I'm the master of fear, and if I'm afraid, this guy must you know, be, you know, beating the hell out of us. So it worked to have Scarecrow as the, the villain that they were bringing back. That's true. Um, yeah, this episode, I'm not really a fan of it at all. Uh, it's just, it's just not my cup of tea kind of episode, you know. It's like, it seems to me like the episode is a, it's like an anti-fascism episode, which is cool and all, but, you know, it's just like, I don't know, it's just something about it. I just didn't, didn't really dig it. It's just, I don't know, I, lock up is... Lockup has some arguments that you kind of think, well, yeah, you know, he's right. They, they, they are too lenient. You know, Arkham is a is definitely a revolving door, but then you know they, they make him completely over the top about it. You know, and he's just to me, he's just not a very good villain. No, he's not. That's that's the problem with the villain. Had they made him more of a Punisher-like villain, who was just going after the criminals then I think that would have worked better than what they did with him. And, I mean, by having him go after the police and the politicians and the newscasters, it just, it just, his shtick doesn't work. If he was going out there and hunting down Scarecrow, and I mean really hunting him down with the intent to kill him, yet you could kind of side with the guy. You really could. But the second he goes after innocent people, you can't side with him anymore. And I really wish they would have played up the other aspect, sort of like the Punisher aspect of the character. Mm-hmm. But th- that's not the route they went, so he ends up looking like a total lunatic because once Batman gets on his trail, the guy's never, not once, going after a bona fide villain. He goes after only innocent people in the, the scenes we are privy to. And I think that's where this episode fails. They honestly Mm -hmm. should have played up the differences between a Punisher-like character and a Batman-like character. They could could compare and contrast them, and we would have had a really awesome episode, but we did not get that. Yeah, because it could be one of those villains where you you look at him and you think, well, you know, he does have a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, a villain that makes you think. Those, most of the time, villains that make, like I said, make you think are the most interesting ones, like uh, like a Magneto. Right. So, but, yeah, all we get here is just this completely over-the-top, uh, like you said, lunatic who who does nothing but he, he, like, he's like the permissive liberal media and, you know, just, you know, spouting off 
cliched phrases from uh, news TV yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, no, I don't want to see that in a Batman cartoon. Like, at all. Uh, the episode, uh, This episode has some pretty good animation. Um, but there's some other thing, and it has some <laughs> some pretty uh, good dialogue between Robin and Batman, like we were oh, just yeah. discussing. Uh, when they're in the Batcave, uh, Robin asks Bruce, they're, or Batman, I should say, because they're in their costumes, and Robin says, you mean this lockup nut is the same guy who was the security chief at Arkham? And Batman says, the same one. So Robin goes, another villain made possible by a grant from the Wayne Foundation. <laughs> Oh, the look that Batman gives Robin. Yeah. That is a look to kill Robin. Yeah, because Batman's he's sitting there doing something on one of his computers. He stops what he's doing and just tosses this ice-cold glare at him from over his shoulder. And Robin says something like, hey, I'm just kidding. Only kidding. But it's like, you know, there's there's a hint of truth in that. You know, it's like this isn't the first villain that has come from the Wayne Foundation, is it? Uh, I don't think so. When I after this, the, after I heard the line, one popped up in my head, and I didn't write it down, and now I'm having trouble remembering which one it was. Okay, let's go through the villains real quick here. Penguin, no. Uh, Joker, no. Harley, no. Two Face, no. no. Mister Freeze worked for Boyle, correct? Right. Which we'll get into a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad Hatter. Yeah, well, Hatter. You could say Hatter, I guess. And he did. Wayne was found funding the technology Hatter uses. Yep. There um, you go. Scarecrow worked for the asylum. Uh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. Did he? Uh, well, no, he was a professor. Yeah, he, he was a professor. Yeah, yeah, he was a professor of psychology at uh, Gotham University, yeah. I think. Um, are we missing? Riddler, him? no. Croc, no. So, okay, so even if it was just one... <laughs> we'll, just say, we'll just say the Mad Hatter. What the right, hell? Right, even if it's just one, Robin... There's, Like I said, there's a hint of truth in what Robin said. So it's going to get under Bruce's skin. Hell, even if it was just one, if this was the first, it was still going to get under Bruce's skin. And there's you know, a part... It, it could have it, it just been he was just tri- like playing up the, the public access, like PBS... Uh, motto that they that was really all the rage back in the early nineties. Like this this show made possible by a grant from the blah blah blah. Oh, that's exactly what he was doing. But the fact that there was some truth to it is what irked Batman. And I I have to wonder if the scene that happens next is Batman's way of punishing Robin because he sends Robin alone to Bolton's last known address. <laughs> Like, boy, you're going to go face him alone. Go out now. If he's there and you get your ass kicked, it's your fault. Remember that, you know? I mean, I I really would have liked to have seen this scene with a younger Robin. Just to have Batman turn around and go, like, just point upstairs like you're grounded, you know? (laughs) I think that would have been humorous. But I still like the way it played out here because I'm telling you, that was total punishment. Like, no, you get to go to where he used to live. That's it. You you get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. If you come back dead, it's your fault. <laughs> oh me. Um here's something I this is another one of those little things like the rubbing of alcohol on people before you give them uh, an injection. TV sure do break easily, don't they? Yeah, he tips it Bolton over. Bolton just tips just tips his TV over and boom, it's like psh, just breaks. Yeah, it's, and sparks are flying everywhere. Yeah, the screen the screen cracks, smoke starts coming out. There's like these huge electrical arcs just shooting up. I mean, it's just another one of those clichés that I just can't stand. Yeah. Like you and your computers exploding mm-hmm. thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I knock over my TV right now, it might not work after me knocking it over, but it's not going to do that. It's not going to go <laughs> plume and shoot electricity at me. So it's a little ridiculous. It definitely is. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things I really like about this episode is the scene at the uh, inquiry uh, where Bolton is losing his marbles. He's saying, you know, you, you're all the, they're all the uh, symptoms. You're all the... Uh, Oh, what's the say? What's he say? The disease. the disease, right? He's going on and on and on, ripping into everybody there, and the the the, the guards that are standing around, they're trying to, to to subdue him, but they can't because he's such a hulking fellow, and everybody's backing off. Even Gordon takes a step back, but Bruce just calmly stands his ground, very Batman like, like I'm not going to be intimidated by this lunatic, right? And. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The guy, Bolton, he starts running towards someone. I don't know if we see who it is. He just starts running towards the camera. And Bruce just casually knocks over the chair, which trips him, which allows the the rest of the guards to jump on him and haul his ass out of there. And I thought it was Mm -hmm. a really cool moment where Bruce got to show that he could take care of business without being bumbling. Because he didn't do it in a bumbling way. Like, oh, I got bumped, and now I'm going to hit this chair. He stood there, arms behind his back, and just kicked the chair right into the guy's path. Anybody that was paying attention to Bruce saw him do that. They know Bruce saved the day. So I really appreciated that, that, one, they let him stand, they, they allowed him to stand there, uh, not backing down, and, two, that they actually allowed him to save the day without acting like a fool. I totally agree. Although, now I think it would have been, it, it that would have made, uh, wouldn't that have added Bruce Wayne to Bolton's hit list, like with Summer Gleason and Gordon and Hill. That was one of those, th- that, that really surprised me. When, you know, Bolton's being taken away and he's yelling at them, they show the doctor, the mayor, and the commissioner. And he's saying, oh, you know, it's all your fault. You know, the, the doctors who say they're sane, you know, the politicians who are weak on crime and the, the, the inept policemen or whatever Police he's saying. Force, right? yeah. You know, I was really hoping that Bruce Wayne would have also been added to that shot. He could have said something like, um, I don't know, the, the lazy fat cats I, I, who don't provide the proper funding or the liberal fat cats who are too lenient on crime or something. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was yeah. very shocking that Bruce wasn't added, especially after he was the one who knocked over the chair and ultimately led to him being caught. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Um, and as much as I like that scene with Bolton being stopped by Bruce, it's counteracted by what happens later on when he returns his lockup. Um, Summer Gleason's being taken away in her car. He's towing it into that big old truck of his, right? Yeah. Well, Bruce, before that happens, he was escorting her out, but he gets a phone call. So he heads back inside to take the phone call. When he sees what happens, you know, Summer's honking her horn saying, hey, help me, help me, help me, because she can't get out of her car. He looks up. And he's like, oh, shit, he hangs up the phone, and he goes into the revolving door. As he's leaving, right when the door's about to open and allow him to exit, uh, a lock goes flying at the wall, bolting the door shut. Okay, so Bruce is essentially stuck in that door. What does he do? Instead of just smashing his briefcase into the glass and going out to try to help her as best he can as Bruce Wayne, he opens his briefcase allows the revolving door to fill with smoke, changes in the Batman, then breaks the glass, I think he blows the lock off, as a matter of fact, and mm-hmm. goes to stop uh, lockup. 
what? No one notices that Bruce Wayne was stuck in the door and Batman's the one who emerged? Now, yeah. granted, he... Especially because there was a guy that walked right by him as he was going towards the revolving <laughs> right. door. Right. Now, okay, someone's going to try to make the argument that, you know, the, the little chamber that he was in did fill with smoke, but he was the only guy in there. It's not like there were five people in there, and after the smoke dissipated, they all somehow magically disappeared, and Batman was there. That's not what happened. It was one guy was in there, and Batman came out. Who else was it going to be? It's, it's, it's a really irksome scene. I mean, it's cool that Bruce is prepared like that, that he could open his briefcase, his costume's in there, and he's got smoke pellets in there so he can change on the fly. I appreciate that. But the fact that, what, you're telling me no one saw him, even though there was clearly a witness, there were no cameras, you know, that, that lockup can't put it together because he shot the lock he's at the door. He saw who was in there, so he knows who came out. You can't tell me that none of these witnesses are Bolton couldn't put it together. One plus one equals two. And Bolton had several opportunities to unmask Batman in this episode, and he never did. Yeah, again, another problem of ours. Yeah. Just, but, you know, there's another one. Uh, When they're in the ship, the the makeshift prison, um, Robin is walking through the halls of the, uh, through the uh, the hall uh, hall of the ship, and he gets ensnared by these tendril things that, uh, come out of the, uh, the walls that lock up just like activates out of the walls he throws a uh, batarang at the camera the camera blows up and then the tendrils just release him yeah so okay so we're made to believe that uh, destroying a camera will uh will disengage these deadly metal tendrils sure yeah okay whatever you say i mean another moment of stupidity in this episode is when Batman's walking around on the deck of the ship, he starts, that he being lockup, starts shooting a fucking cannon at Batman. But the cannon's hitting the guy's ship. ship. It's yeah. You're blasting your own ship, you moron. Even if one of those you know, mortars, missiles, whatever, whatever, hits Batman, it's still going to go through him and pierce your ship. No matter how you slice it, you are shooting your ship, your base of operations. It's like there there was no logic. Okay, there were certain times where they had logic during this episode, and there were other times where there was no logic at all. And And unfortunately, the the illogic outweighs the logic. Way too often. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm just going to blow up my own headquarters because Batman's here. What? No, you don't do that. Not unless you're Rachel Ghoul and you have 30 other headquarters all the, uh, around the world. That's fine, okay. Yeah. But when you're this schlub lockup, no, 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 no. And, and speaking of this, this, this schlub, right, he's constantly mm-hmm. owning Batman in these fights. We've seen Batman take down Bane, Killer Croc, guys so much stronger than him, bigger than him, and this guy is able to take him down. Now, granted, he's a fit guy. He's a prison guard. He's going to know how to fight. But this is Batman, Karate Master, kick your ass in the teeth. Kick your Plain ass in the fighter. Teeth. I didn't know what I said there. Kick your ass in the teeth. Okay, we just made up another phrase there. Okay, you're right. Plain <laughs> fighter. I mean, this guy has wrestled everything. He's wrestled crocodiles, not killer croc, legit crocodiles in the sewer with the, the creepy 
sewer king, king guy. guy. Right. He's he's fought planes. He's fought everything, and he can't handle this guy. That's ridiculous. And, and I meant to say, kick you so hard in the teeth, they come out your ass. But somehow that got shortened to kick your ass in the teeth. Oh my god! <laughs> you're not the first person to say it. Believe me. <laughs> but and it, it's even stupider because he he owns it. Yeah. It's not like oh well, you know, Batman just like missed. You know, he, he just kind of blocked a punch and then he punched him back. He he just owns him right and left. He throws him into Summer Gleason's car. He throws him off of a ship. He just he he throws him into the the controls of that of the of the uh, in the sh- uh, ship's war room. Yeah, I think Batman and dives like, at him and he uses you know how Batman always uses people's momentum against them. Right, that's what happens here. Batman dives at him and I think Bolton kind of uses Batman's momentum against him and he hits that computer and he lays on it upside down, spouts some you know macho line about how he's going to kick the guy's ass, then gets up and proceeds to get his ass kicked some more. Ugh. You know, as pathetic as it is, though, I feel that the fight at the end is pretty cool on the on the ship as it's sinking and with uh, Lockup trying to press Batman's face into the propeller. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty damn intense, especially once they both go overboard. They go flying right past the propeller, which is still spinning, of course. I mean... Into the rocky water. Yeah, below. I mean, that was... I, that... Again, I, I don't like this episode. I, I think, you know, again, it's it's lacking logic. I don't like the fact that Batman's getting his ass kicked left and right. But the fact that he, at the, at the end when he's getting his ass kicked, that was kind of cool. I mean, because Batman has to resort to throwing mud in the guy's eye. And that doesn't even mm-hmm. work because Bolton still punches him in the head. <laughs> yeah, and then prepares to throw yeah. off. But I think what made it even better was that there was no music playing during that whole fight scene. Oh, I didn't notice that, really? Yeah, it was just the only thing you heard was the crashing waves below and the propeller. Oh. Which I think made it a lot cooler. Yeah, that I, I give it, you know, I always give episodes bonus points when they take the chance to not have a laugh track or, you know, for like sitcoms or things like that, um, to not have scores when something intense is going on, to actually let the emotion of the scene carry you through instead of the music that's making you feel a certain emotion. So cool, very cool. I don't know if I have much else to say about this one. I mean, one of the, I guess I will throw this in there. I do like the scene where they're walking up to the Batmobile, that being Batman and Robin, and there's the boot on the Batmobile, <laughs> and Robin's like, forget to pay a parking ticket. Again, it's the, just Robin being a complete smartass to Batman. As Batman's the getting, whole episode. I know, and Batman's just getting more and more frustrated with this lockup guy. I mean, this is a guy that Batman should be able to take down in a heartbeat, and he can't. And Robin is just, like, rubbing it in his face, left and right. I really appreciated that. I thought it was some much-needed humor um, at that moment. Uh, And this episode desperately needed it wherever it happened. Mm, Yeah. Uh, You know, and as much as I hate the character of Lockup, um, there were two moments that I did like with him. One is, uh, shoot, I I don't remember when he says it. I don't remember if it's when he's being dragged out, if it's when he's sitting in his his apartment all those months later or whatever. But there's a point where he says, this city is an open wound begging to be stitched. I'm like, that's a cool line. He said that's after he tips his TV over. Okay. It's like, you think about that. It's like, that perfectly describes Gotham City right there. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the ending of the episode. Lockup going back to Arkham, but this time as a prisoner, but he still sees himself as the guard, and he's still going to dispense justice. I mean, that's like putting the Punisher in jail. You're giving him exactly what he wants. You're putting a piranha in a goldfish tank is exactly what you're doing. And I, I wish, as much as I don't like this character, I really wish they would have brought him back or at least mentioned him. You know, they could have said that Lockup was, beat, you know, just a throwaway line. He was beating up the other villain, the, the other inmate, so they had to ship him off to somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Or, yeah. You know, uh, more villains escape because they're trying to get away from Bolton, who's taking control of the prison, or the prison, the asylum from the inside. You know, it, it, they could have brought him back in in so many cool ways because of how they ended this. And it's a damn shame that they didn't, but I think they figured out that he was kind of a weak villain, so they just let us forget him. <laughs> Our third episode today is Make Them Laugh. In this episode, the Joker has brainwashed uh, three comedians with Mad Hatter's uh, microchip technology. Uh, and what he's doing is he's kidnapped them as kind of a revenge plot uh, to win a trophy for from a, a, a comedy festival that he felt he should have won but was wrongly ousted from. And what he does to uh, to kind of rub it into these these three comedians' judges, these were the judges of this uh, competition, what he does is he dresses them up in these ridiculous costumes and makes them go around as quote-unquote supervillains. One uh, is dressed up as uh, the condiment king armed with a ketchup and mustard gun. One is called the pack rat who doesn't rob jewels and money but rather just takes garbage from everybody. And another another one who is uh, suspiciously similar to Roseanne Arnold, uh, it becomes Super Mom or whatever, Super Soccer Mom or whatever the hell her yeah I don't know uh, what it was alter ego was, but she basically flung, uh, like took a mop and like tried to beat the crap out of Robin, and that's really about it. That Batman has to get involved and. Uh, find out who's been brainwashing these people and why why these comedians are just suddenly committing crimes and eventually he figures out it's Joker and oh I can't take this anymore can we move on to the next I know episode? I want to and if you want the truth it isn't even him that figures it out it's Alfred that figures it out yeah because they That's they true. mention you know they 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 mention that this comedy show or whatever is you know, broadcast on TV, and last year, Robin and Alfred just happened to catch it and happened to tape it, and they happened to keep the tape. And and they had tickets to this yeah, year's and show. Alfred says, hey, let me watch this old episode as this is going on. And he's the one, he's like, Master Bruce, I've queued it up to a part that you might find interesting. And then that's when Batman figures out that, what was his name, Shecky Rimshot or something? Yeah, his last name was Rimshot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. He, you know, Batman looks at him, and he, based on the voice and the general shape of the face, he figures out, oh, with different hair and slightly changing the eyes, this is the Joker. So it's not even Batman who figures out who the villain is. It's the frickin' butler that does it. <laughs> I mean, butler did yeah, it. This episode is so stupid. 
I mean, again, and it's, we, we talk about lighthearted episodes. This is trying to be a lighthearted episode, but it's a stupid one. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it has its moments, and we'll get to them in a little bit, but overall, it's just terrible. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. What were you going to say a second ago? No, 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 I, I was just going to say, it's it's another one of those jo- Joker episodes where it's like, why? Why is this such a bad episode? Yeah. And it's like, and what makes this one especially bad is that Joker doesn't have any good dialogue. None of his lines made me chuckle or laugh or like, <laughs> that's really good. You know, I, that's a great one-liner. Because like, in most other Joker episodes, I'm like, you know, Joker still had some really good one-liners. Blah 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 blah. Not in this episode. Not a one. I couldn't. I couldn't. I can't think of a single line that made me chuckle no. that he said. So that's how you know a Joker episode is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Mark Hamill can't save it. Yeah. 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 And it, it, like we were saying with Harley's Holiday, the puns that were in that episode were clever and they were well timed and well written. In this episode, it's like, okay, the Condiment King is asking Batman if he can cut the mustard. And I want to shoot myself mm-hmm. for having listened to that. The one the one line that I did chuckle at was the dispatcher saying, disturbance reported at the top of Crown Restaurant. Suspect is a male costumed extremist armed with what appears to be a ketchup gun. <laughs> yeah. And then Batman goes, it's going to be one of those yeah. guys. That was the best part of the episode right there. No, I can one-up you. I can one-up oh, you. Really? Yeah. When Batman is he's meeting the Condiment King, they're on the balcony of the restaurant, and the Condiment King's going on his villainous rant. You know, it's very, very comic book-like. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's filled with alliteration. You know, it's, I'm this, and I'm that, and the King Crusader, and the Condiment King, were, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to face off in this dynamic battle. Blah, blah, blah. He's just annoying the piss out of everybody. <clears throat> so Batman just wails into the guy's gut, and he says, Quiet! <laughs> I mean, Batman just levels the guy and just tells him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it, I, I I was at work when I was watching this. It was after hours, you know, but mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm sitting there, and I just busted out laughing. I mean, I was really glad that it was after hours and it was all shut down because if there would have been people around, they would have looked at me like, what is Mike laughing at? <laughs> and I, I didn't want to have to explain that I was watching a really shitty episode of Batman the Animated Series. Um, so I appreciated that. And before that, when the Condiment King first popped up in the restaurant and he's giving his spiel to everybody saying, turn over your wallets and your jewels and blah, 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 blah. One of the voices in the background realizes how ridiculous this so-called villain is and just casually says, oh, Oh, just ignore him. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the Condiment King gets pissed off, and he ends up scaring everybody into giving their jewels and uh, valuables away. But I thought that was a really wonderful line. Oh, just ignore him. It's basically like, oh, he's not the Penguin. Forget it. You know? Uh, maybe, maybe he'll go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, there's a couple of moments that are genuinely funny, but that doesn't make the episode even tolerable. No, um, not at all. And... Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Batman and Robin are fighting Packrat in the uh, department store, it's it's not Macy's, but it's similar in that design. Yeah, I think the name's even close to it, like Mayfields or something like that. Yeah, it's Mayfields. Uh, oh, really? I was just pulling yeah, that out of my ass. Is. Okay, woo. Good job. <laughs> Point for me. Um, okay, so they're in the sporting goods section, and Packrat picks up like a nine iron 
And he starts swinging it at Batman, and Batman just casually takes a step or two backwards with each swing, not even fretting this this fool in front of him. And Packrat swings right into an electrical box that had been uh, ex- uh, shot with one of his bullets earlier. So, of course, there's sparks fly- flying everywhere. So this metal golf club hits these, this electricity, thus frying the rat. So Batman let that happen, didn't he? Because he kept backing uh, up until he was casually backing up until the guy clearly was going to hit the box. That's when he stopped. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, what happened was uh, Robin and Batman are both standing there. The guy grabs the nine iron. Robin, just is, in his little comedic fashion, just bows off and says, "Here," without saying a word. Yeah. You, you, you have the mm-hmm. honor. And Batman just stands there with his arms folded. I don't remember him backing up. He backs up, up at least twice. I'm telling you. Does he? he does absolutely he? Okay, does because all I remember, all I remember is just him standing there with his arms. Free. No, he was standing in front of the box. In fact, I think he was a st- step in front of it. The guy took a swing. Batman took one more step, one step backwards, and now he was even with the box. The guy took another swing. Batman backed up one more time, exposing the box. Third swing, he's fried. Batman let this guy electrocute himself. Like, what the hell is Batman thinking? Like, the guy's holding a metal club, and he lets him strike uh, a s- electricity, live electricity? Like, oh, come on. I mean, it's a cool scene just watching Batman. It's much like what we saw in, in Lockup earlier, where Batman just tips the chair over, or Bruce does it, actually, yeah. and he doesn't even sweat mm-hmm. the situation. Same thing here, but the end result is le- potentially lethal. Knocking a guy on his chin isn't lethal. Letting a guy fry himself, that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. But speaking of Packrat, how many bullets did his machine gun have? 112. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I mean... Uh, I, I counted at least 300. I mean, it, was, it was like an, watching an old Western, where you never see them reload their guns. They got six shooters, yeah. but they shoot a guy 15 times, you know? It's, it was and like love, that. The, the gun didn't even have a clip, either. <laughs> it was just that. like this thing. It, the gun had no clip. Yeah. He's just, like, blasting <laughs> away with bullets flying everywhere, and there's no no cartridge or anything where these bullets can be held, <laughs> let alone you know, 112 or 300 or however many were yeah. in there. It's... Um, here's the one question I have about this episode. Um, was Joker when he, they showed him on that tape that Alfred just conveniently had? Was that uh, just a, a, a just a disguise? It wasn't like there was was this was after he had already become the Joker. Yeah, because that was one year ago, and we know Batman has been doing this thing for a long time now. Because if you okay. think about it, they. They, okay, when we first meet Harvey Dent, he's Harvey Dent, and he's dating Pamela Isley. Mm -hmm. Then six months passes in that episode because she attacks him because of the prison they built that destroyed that one flower, remember? So the Joker was introduced before Two-Face, if memory serves, so therefore at least six months have passed there, and in the lockup episode, there's a total of nine months that passes there, because they first say, you hear Summer Gleason or someone say something about three months having passed since Bolton got fired, and then they mention that a whole six more months has passed in that episode. So at the very least, this show, the continuity of the show, is, you got to figure, I don't know, around about two years. You know, yeah. a year and a half to okay. two years. So that was Joker in a disguise. Now, 
Had they not said that that was from exactly one year ago, and had we not known that the Joker was a hitman before he was the Joker, Salvalester, right, right? Had we not known any of that, then I would say, oh, that could potentially be the Joker before he became the Joker and not a disguise. But that's not the case. That is a disguise, and he just wanted to see if he was the funniest comedian because they screwed him. He made it into a Joker scheme. A nonsensical okay. joke. Just had to verify that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. And I think that's why they threw that line in there about it being a year ago. Because otherwise that would have confused people who saw Mask of the Phantasm and said, wait a minute, this doesn't jive, these two bits of continuity, that is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, a pretty damn good disguise. Because I think Mark Hamill did a really good job of masking his voice. Except for when he got really angry, and then you could start to hear the Joker come out. But when he was mm-hmm. delivering those jokes, you're like, that's Mark Hamill? Because it didn't sound like the Joker. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, wow, Mark, that doesn't sound like Hamill yeah, at he all. Yeah, he did a damn good job in uh, in throwing another voice out there. So, you know, where he, you know, he couldn't save the episodes in terms of the one-liners he was given, at least he could provide a bright spot in delivering a, a voice we're not used to hearing him use in this show. Mm-hmm. Uh... I guess the thing I liked the most about this episode, if there is such a thing, is how they uh, totally ripped on uh, Roseanne Barr, yeah. or Roseanne Arnold, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever last name you want to give her. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that was clearly who that was supposed oh, to be. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, at the end, when Robin removes the tag, or the, the microchip, or whatever you want to call it, from her, she still smacks him upside his head, and she's like, I'm back to normal. And he's like, how could you tell? You know, and it, that, yeah, that's, that is playing off of her... You know what the public knows, or at least thinks they know of her, and that's her being a very brash woman. I hate this episode. I just just want to move on. I know you have no. I I really don't. I mean, really, I think this episode is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, yes, it has Joker logic, but it's it's just totally stupid. I said it when we started talking about this one, and I'll say it now as we're done talking about this one. It's absolutely stupid. Yeah. There's... The crime itself is incredibly dumb. He wants a trophy. I mean, he wants to be... I know he says he wants to be the known as the greatest comedian in Gotham. Uh, so? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who cares? Right, it just... It's, it's not a storyline anybody cares no, about. No, it's... And having Batman point out that it's a stupid crime doesn't make up for its stupidity. Just because yeah. you point out the flaw in the script or the story doesn't make it any better. It, it, that's not how it... Sometimes it works that way. Sometimes you can take a little tongue-in-cheek jab at the story. But here, it just doesn't work. It just It just really proves how dumb it is. Next up would be Deep Freeze, and here we, as you can tell by the name, Mr. Freeze returns, but this time he's not so much the villain. Instead, the villain is, and I can't remember his name, but it... Grant Walker. What is that? Grant Walker? 
Okay, yeah. and he's very much like Walt Disney. He's an Imagineer, you know. He he imagines these great theme parks, these futuristic worlds that you know we'll never truly have, but we could wish we'd have those types of things. You all know what I'm talking about. Well, anyways, he abducts uh, Victor Freeze from his cell, and he does this because uh, Walker is an old man now, and he wants to live forever. Basically, and he's figured out that Victor Freeze will live forever because his aging process has been slowed by uh, the chemicals that ruined his life. So he blackmails Victor into uh, turning him into a second Mr. Freeze uh, because at first Victor doesn't want to help him, but uh, he, he, it's revealed that uh, this guy has Nora. He actually has her in uh, a cryogenic state. So he says, hey, you can have her back, and I can cure her if you'll give me what I want. So, of course, Freeze does it, and it's revealed that uh, this man who is completely insane, he wants to wipe out the world's population, uh, not unlike uh, Rachel Ghoul. He very much is a Rachel Ghoul light. Um, by, uh, instead of turning the Earth green, uh, he wants to freeze it. So uh, Batman, Robin, and Mr. Freeze, of all people, team up to stop this from happening. Because Batman tells Freeze, he's like, look, if this plan actually works and your wife comes back to life, she's going to blame you for what you did to this world just to get her back. And you're not going to want that. And Freeze realizes Batman's right. So that's why he ends up teaming up with Batman there. So uh, what about this one? Well... It's not a bad episode at all, but um, this this Grant Walker guy, you know, he's the biggest uh, he's the biggest douchebag since Roland Daggett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really is. Because everything, the more and more he talks, it's the more and more you hate him, which I guess is a good thing here. I think they did a good job of make of making the audience despise this this prick. Um, and I love Mister Freeze's dialogue in this episode. Just absolutely loved it. Um, Every time Walker says something to him about wanting to be immortal, wanting to be a, a new Mr. Freeze, basically, he's he's basically telling him how incredibly foolish and stupid he is for wanting it, and in in his very poetic in the very poetic way that he talks, like he says here, eternal life trapped in this wretched shell, what a miserable joke, and stuff like that. I I just I really loved his uh, dialogue. Yeah, he, yeah, he has a great line where he says something like, "I would trade." Uh, a thousand of my eternal years for one of your worst days. And it's like, wow. I mean, that really gets you into the character's mind right there. It's like how tormented this guy is. All he wants is his wife, but he can't have her and he can't touch a flower and he can't breathe the air without dying because he can't take that fucking suit off unless he's in a cold environment. And that isn't going to happen anytime soon. I mean, you just feel so bad for Mr. Freeze. If this series did anything right, it's making Mr. Freeze and Two-Face and several other villains so sympathetic. Especially Freeze, because they revitalized that character. He was, in mm-hmm. the comics... Because we haven't seen him forever. Yeah, yeah, in the comics, he was essentially nothing. He was literally nothing in the comics before Batman the Animated Series. They really gave this character new life. They sparked new interest in him. And I, I, I commend the, the, the producers of this show for doing that. And as you just said, we haven't seen him in a long time. Where was the last time we saw him? God. 
it wasn't Heart of Ice. What was the second one he was in? Um, I'm thinking it was it was only like a so-so episode. Yeah, I, I mean, for sure, we can't even think of what the episode is here, but I know we know he was in a second uh, episode, or an episode after Heart of yeah. Ice. I just can't remember yeah. the name of this. But regardless, I mean, they still did right by the character most of the time. Oh, and and God, after after Sub Zero, wow! I, when you see Mister Freeze in Gotham Knights, or what's left of him, wow! They, you know, this character just goes through just hell and back in on every imaginable level, and. He, I think he was probably the most well-written villain in this entire series. Yeah. Overall. Yeah, you're right there. Now, um, now, I have to ask a question, though, and I, I hinted at this earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, Walker says that Mr. Freeze, that Victor, worked for Gothcorp. He says that at least twice. But he didn't. He worked for Boyle. Yeah. Unless Boyle worked for Gothcorp. But he didn't. He had his own fucking corporation because he was getting the Humanitarian of the Year award when Freeze attacked him. So that's a huge continuity error right there. Yes, it is. Um, I mean, I'd like someone unless, to write in and let us know if maybe Boyle's company was, I don't know, a subdivision or something, but that can't be because Bruce wouldn't allow any of that shit to happen. Bruce would have fired him the second he found out about that crap. So it's yep. it's clearly clearly a huge mistake. I don't know mm-hmm. why they instantly assumed it was Gothcorp. Why they couldn't have done their research and looked up the fact that it was Boyle's company. Name we can't remember, but still, yeah, yeah it's a, that's a huge plot hole mm-hmm. right there. On a lighter note, we got a, a, a an appearance of Bat Mike. Yes. Did you else, <laughs> did you notice who else was there? Uh. You're not talking about Rossum, are you? No! Not in the a... background, not only was Batmite there, but there was Mixie. And Crypto was there, wasn't Crypto he? was there, and Streaky, the super cat, was there, too. <laughs> the cat's sitting there with a little lightning bolt on her leg, like kind of oh, on her oh, okay. thigh there, or hip or whatever. That's Streaky. Um, I think that's Supergirl's cat, if I remember correctly. You are right, Crypto was there. And Mr. Mixapitalik is floating on a magic carpet, and his design is actually the very classic Mixy, not the kind of cartoony one we would get from Superman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. And what I really appreciated about Batmite is the fact that how they would animate and write Larry later on in the Teen Titans is exactly how they wrote Batmite here. I'm your yeah. number one fan. I mean, that's what <laughs> Batmite is. He's sort of like you know, Mister, you know, Mister Mixapitalik for Superman. Mm-hmm. You know that that's what Batmite is for Batman, but he's much more joyous about it. You know, he's just this kind of fun little imp guy. That's Batman's number one fan. And so it was really (laughs) cool. And what I liked is if you do consider Teen Titans part of continuity, then you pretty much have to acknowledge that it happens at some point before Batman, the animated series. That's the only way it works. Okay. Well, if that's the case, that means as of this episode, Robin would have already met Larry. So his reaction to Batmite, takes on a whole new meaning because he's he, after when Batman when Batmite comes out he's like what's that like very shocked so if you see the Teen Titans episode and then this one you could infer that Robin is thinking it's Larry all over again 
Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? It talks like him. It acts like him. It, it could potentially be him in a new guise, and now he's a fan of Batman and not Robin. But, of course, we know that's not the case. He's just freaked out by whatever this flying Batman toy thing is. But I like putting it into the context that I just put it in. I think my... Uh... One big gripe with this episode, besides the huge plot hole you just mentioned, is how easily they take down Walker after uh, Freeze just decides to side with Batman and Robin, which I thought was too hastily done also. Uh, it's like, okay, well, they teamed up, and that's it. They, they've basically won right there because everything just goes straight to hell. Freeze just destroys everything, and Batman and Robin escape, and that's it. Yeah. It was just, it, it was way too quickly done. Yeah, they, they lead up to this whole thing. I mean, you, you almost think you're going to get this huge fight between Freeze and Walker in their Mr. Freeze suits. Right. And it's nothing. Freeze puts him in a block of ice, right? Yeah. And then Walker sunk with his utopian city forever in an ice uh, iceberg. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's it. And the whole city collapses. Everybody flees. And... Or everybody except Freeze free, flees because he stays behind with Nora, which we'll get to in a little bit here. But, yeah, it, it, the ending was so rushed. There's all this lead-up setting up, you know, you know, we think Walker's maybe an okay guy, but then it turns out he's going to destroy the world, and he wants to be immortal, so he's really this big douchebag, and he's blackmailing this guy who just wants to be left alone, blah, 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 and then it's over. Yeah. It's like... They're climbing up a mountain slowly but surely, and then all of a sudden they fall off. Right. So I didn't. You know, I, I have to take off for that because it was just so shoddily done. Mm -hmm. Especially given how how uh, high a quality the episode was up until uh, they teamed up. I think right when they teamed up, that's where it started to go right to hell. Mm -hmm. But you know, they they uh, I liked the uh, moment at the end of the episode with Freeze. Uh, with his hand on the glass case that holds Nora. Yeah. That was nice, but that, you know, just that one little moment can't save the last, I guess, five to seven minutes of the episode. No, it can't. I mean, the, the ending, it's so depressing because Freeze is, as far as we know, as of this moment, forever trapped in a block of ice with his wife. He's right there, but he's separated by a thin sheet of glass. And even if she could get out of that block of ice, he's separated, separated by her from that damn suit he's in. So he's mm -hmm. so close, yet so very far. He's in that cage, that prison that he mentioned. You know, so it's a sad ending, but it's touching. Because, again, he can't be with her, but at the same time, he is sort of with her. This would have been the perfect place to end Freeze's story, but of course we know that's not the case. Um, uh, and, I'm, you know, and I'm glad they didn't end it there, because they... You know they they evolve him even more mm -hmm. uh, with in, in Gotham in Gotham Knights and even into Batman Beyond. Yeah. So and I'm glad they didn't end it there, and it became incredibly creepy oh, yeah. later on. Oh yeah. Oh, oh wow! It can it becomes really creepy. Yeah, and I mean right off the bat, you you feel for Freeze, uh, not mm -hmm. because he's abducted, but because when that robot comes for him, the robot breaks the. The what's that thing called? The music box. The, the music box. The snow globe. Yeah, that's it. Thank thing. you. It he breaks it, and the little ballerina Nora snaps in half. And you're like, oh no, that's the clo that's 
you know, that was the representation of his wife, and now it's gone. It's right off the bat, you feel so bad for him. Absolutely terrible for him. So, I don't know. But anyways, you know, despite the negatives, we, you know, we've said about this episode, I do like some of the animation. Specifically yeah. the scene where Batman and Robin are lowered into, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, spy on Walker, and those robots grab them, and then they're lowered into that chamber, and it's really dark, and the second they get down there, their breath becomes labored, because it's so cold, and you start seeing the, 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 the you could see their breath misting off, yeah. you know? And so you know shit's about to hit the fan, because if it's cold, you know who's going to enter the room. And the door opens, and Mr. Freeze walks in, but really all you can see is sort of his outline and the glowing red eyes. Yeah, and it's very realistic looking, too. Mm -hmm. It's not cartoony at all. Right, and then he pulls out the gun, and he fires it, and there's the spiral of ice coming at the camera. And it's like, wow, that's that's when they go to a commercial break, too. Yeah, that was the commercial cliffhanger. I mean, that was a really cool scene. It was animated quite well. What else do you want to say about this one? I mean, I didn't take a whole hell of a lot of notes because, you know, it works for a while, but then, as you said, it just poops out. Yeah, it's it's very similar in that regard to the Mad Hatter's debut. Mm-hmm. Mad Hatter goes really, really good, and all of a sudden it just... Yeah. And, it's, and in this one in, in particular, it's really... It's a damn shame because it it was so strong for the first you know like fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you still overall it accomplished its goal. I think in that you you feel bad for Freeze throughout the entire episode. That never wavers. I don't think, at least not in my opinion. No, no, no that never wavers. But still, the, the way it was handled at the last the last uh, third of the episode, I would say, is just it was bad. Yeah. Yeah, and. They they don't give Freeze... Okay, l- let me let me start over here. Walker tells Mr. Freeze, not only do I have your wife, because he, he shows that Nora's there, so he know, you know Freeze knows that, that Walker's not bullshitting, okay? But he then says, but I have the means to cure her. But as far as Freeze knows, this guy is just the proprietor of theme parks. Why, where does he have the, the know-how to cure whatever incurable disease... Freeze's wife is has been stricken with. You, you dig yeah. what I'm saying there? It's like yeah, absolutely. So Freeze just buys it. He's like, okay, I'll help you. Th- yeah, I mean, I, if it would have just been you could have your wife back in this cryogenic state, then that's fine. But they went that extra step and said, oh, but I can cure her too. Freeze doesn't even question it. He's just like, okay, I'll put you in the suit and I'll make you like me. It's no. uh, that's that's one of those cases where they back themselves into a corner mm-hmm. because if they if he went if they went that route were saying oh you can just you can have your wife back he would freeze just would have blasted the shit out of everybody yeah. and taken her yeah right. exactly but since they went that extra mile yeah there they go they were stuck with it and it doesn't you know, work it doesn't work at all because there's no way that a freeze an extremely intelligent individual would buy that right. Yeah, I mean, this guy may be rich, he may be ultra-smart, he may be a futurist, but he's... I just don't buy that he's all of a sudden has, you know, these all these crazy biologists and chemists and whatever on his staff to cure this woman. I just, I just don't buy it. And the final episode of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, cry, cry, cry. 
yes, tears. It is titled Batgirl Returns. And can can you guess what happens in this episode, Mike? I'm thinking Superman shows up, and so does Guy Gardner, and they play craps for 22 minutes. Damn it, you know they're playing Yahtzee. Oh, that's right. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, um, yeah, uh, Batgirl returns for some reason. Uh, she just ups. There's a theft at uh, Gotham University, and there, this little exhibit, a jade cat is stolen. Hmm, I wonder who could be involved in this <laughs> plot line. Uh, she just ups and decides to be Batgirl again, even though she uh, blew Robin or uh, Dick Grayson off just moments <laughs> she earlier. She blew Robin. She blew Robin. That's what you, you just said. She blew Robin off, and you paused before you set off. So, oh, I see what's going on here. Now my interest in this episode has peaked up. <laughs> I haven't the words to describe how incredibly foolish I feel right now. Yes. <laughs> this, this is Batman the Animated Series, not a Tijuana Bible, okay? Let's get that okay. straight. <laughs> I'm sorry, continue. Ooh, I just okay. had to rib you. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, and I deserved it. <laughs> so, anyway, Dick Grayson is uh, trying to get some, basically. He mm-hmm. runs by her window, and... She's studying and doesn't want to be bothered. And she hears about this theft on TV. And says, oh, well, no, 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 a newspaper be... slipped under her door. Oh, it was a news... yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a newspaper that slipped under her door. And she decides, okay, well, I'll be Batgirl again. And she goes off to investigate. She finds Selena, uh, Selena Kyle in the guise of Catwoman uh, lurking around uh, the crime scene. And based on what Catwoman tells her, she decides, okay, she probably didn't steal this thing. So she decides to team up with uh, Catwoman under the uh, stipulation that if she's lying in her, uh, what was her explanation? It was, she didn't steal it. It's not her style, you know. Right, because whoever stole it was brutish, unrefined, you know, just and didn't take any kind of class into into stealing this uh, this artifact. Right. Yeah, acid was used to cut the wires, and Selena shows that she just would have cut the glass with her claws. To get the right. thing. So she was coming to investigate who stole this jade cat, and she understands why Batgirl suspects her, but, you know, she didn't steal it. So let's team yeah. up to find who did it, is basically it. Yeah. So, and, and Batgirl says, look, okay, I'm going to team up with you, but if you're lying, you have to turn yourself in. So they agree. And they, the episode goes along with Selena and uh, Barbara running all over the city trying to find out who stole this cat, while Robin is trying to uh, basically make sure that Batgirl doesn't get in over her head because Batman is, or I should say Bruce, is off in Paris on a business deal. So this is, a, you know, it's it's kind of weird that you have the last episode of Batman the Animated Series without Batman. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> get into that in a minute. I have a theory about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so what do you think of overall? Overall? I think this is, you know, a, it's it's a fun episode. It's it's cool seeing the girls team up like that, and you know the whole time that Catwoman is playing Batgirl. You know mm-hmm. the second she gets her hands on this Jade Cat, she's gonna, you know, try to run away with it. And it's it's cool watching Batgirl come into her own as a hero here because I think she really does. Yeah. Um, you know, she she figures out what Catwoman's plan is that she was gonna steal this thing all along. You know, she does attempt to stop her. She does save the day uh, when it comes to... Because uh, uh, did you get in the stuff with Daggett? Did you bring that up? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, Daggett ends up being the... Per- we find out that he's the person who stole it, and it was all a plot to get to basically kill Catwoman. Uh, and he wanted the cat 
because he could sell it to rebuild his empire um, that, was that was ruined by legal fees and all this and that. So not only would he get money to rebuild his empire, Catwoman would finally be out of his life, and she'd take the fall for stealing this thing because it's a cat thing. Who else would take it? You don't blame Roland Daggett for that. You blame Kitty Cat for that. So, yeah, so Batgirl ends up saving him uh, from an acid bath and all this and that. So, yeah, she really becomes a genuine hero in this episode. But overall, it just seems so odd, as you said earlier, to have the very last episode of Batman the Animated Series not have Batman. Sure, Bruce is in it for 20 seconds, but it doesn't have Batman? That's so weird. But if I look at it without that in mind, if I didn't know that this was the very last episode... Yeah, I'd say it's a really fun episode, just seeing the girls team up. It's sort of like seeing uh, uh, the first time Harley and Ivy teamed up. Mm -hmm. It's like that all over again, except this time you have Catwoman and Batgirl. So, yeah. And and they they lean towards the heroic side instead of the criminal side. Right, yeah. I mean, Catwoman, again, she is playing Batgirl. She is going to try to thieve this thing at the end, but she is being a hero throughout the episode until the last few minutes when she tries to kill Daggett and make off with the statue. But she's legit doing good stuff throughout the episode. Yeah. Um, and Robin, I like I like the fact that Robin is really the one who has to take charge here, because mm-hmm. we don't see that very often. And I like the fact that the girls are more a lot more resourceful than he takes them for. Yeah. Because they, they repeatedly, uh, you know, upstage him and make him look kind of foolish. Yeah. Yeah, they get everywhere before him. He's mm-hmm. always showing up right at the end, um, just sticking his nose in, either saving them or just whatever. Um, and that, that kind of became irksome because he saves them a couple of times. And I'm like, did we really need the knight in shining armor? coming in to save the helpless girls. It's like they're superheroes or, you know, sort of superhero, sort of villain in the form of Catwoman. They, they don't need the Anti-hero. man. Anti-hero, <laughs> right, yeah. They don't need the, you know, Robin coming in to save them. So I, I felt that even though Batgirl did come into her own in this episode, her heroic side was hindered a little. I should say the growth of it was hindered a little by having, you know, Robin, the boy wonder, save her hide once or twice. Well, yeah, and the first time that Robin and Batgirl see each other, uh, it's the exact same dialogue from Shadow of the Bat. We're, like, they're on the roof, and Robin is spying on uh, the uh, corrupt police, uh, was the corrupt the new corrupt police lieutenant, like... He was the interim commissioner, I think, yeah. Interim commissioner, thank you. Uh, It's the exact same dialogue. No, is it? Yes, Batgirl calls him a dork. Which I love. He, I love that dork. It, and Bat, uh, Robin tells Batgirl to stay out of her way, uh, stay out of his way. Oh. It's it's the exact same dialogue. Go watch those two episodes. I'm not joking. That's cool. It's, I it, didn't pick up on that. Good catch. Though. So it's like, yeah, that kind of irked me. Really, it's oh. I, I know it. I know it's supposed to be. Maybe it was kind of an homage, but it's it just kind of feels lazy to me. No. Uh, I don't mind it. I think it's cool when they do stuff like that. You know. No, well, I don't see. That's like I don't mind uh, homages to previous episodes. I love it actually. It's just when you have the exact same conversation that you had in the in a previous episode. That's. I mean, that's kind of. Eh. You hear? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, I could see why you wouldn't like it, but I appreciated it. I should say I appreciate it. 
because... Okay, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Yes. Okay, if you watch that movie again, watch the first half of it, and then watch the second half of it. A lot of the things that happen and or said are in the first half of the movie are happen again or are said in a different fashion in the back half what? of that movie. And that's really witty writing. And I think remembering a few lines of dialogue that happened in a previous episode between two characters and then reusing them in a similar situation, it gives a bit of continuity between the two episodes because it says, see, look at these characters. There's always going to be a tension between them. And there's, you know, they're going to have a pattern when they meet up. He's going to say, stay out of my way. She's going to say, you're a dork. And they're going to go on and go their separate ways and do their thing. So I don't mind it so much. Okay, I guess I can buy that because I, I'm remembering Shaun of the Dead a lot, and they, they did do a lot of repeat dialogue there, but it was I think it was pulled off a little oh, better. Oh, definitely, it was pulled off better there. But I'm simply saying, I'm just I'm just sort of comparing the two, because yes, it's, it's done better there, but I can appreciate it here too. But again, I could see where it could be irksome for some people. Um, I do have many problems with this episode, though. Okay. Uh, first of which is just, it, and this is something of personal grief to us, why did Selena have to remind us of cat scratch fever? Oh, I know. <laughs> it, it, it said several times, too. Like, I know. you tried to kill me and my cat. You tried to kill me and my cat. It's like, shut up. That episode didn't happen. Oh. oh. And then Selena is a murderer now? No, she's not. She's not. She she throws him off of that that bridge, trying to kill him. Clearly, trying to kill him. But Selena's not a murderer. Okay, first uh, off, I, at least I don't think she is. First off, she knew that Batgirl would save Daggett, and even if Batgirl didn't save Daggett, Daggett did try to kill her. It's not so. It's not like you know she's gonna slice the throat of some guy who jumped her in the bar. This is a guy who legit tried to just murder her. And she's just trying to return the favor. So you're right, she's not she's not normally a murderer, but when you put yeah, those two things together, Batgirl yeah. being there and the revenge factor, it makes sense. Okay, well, um, next on my list here, uh, where did Babs get a grapple gun? Yeah, I, was, I mean, I could understand her having a batarang or two, but I didn't understand where she had the gun. Now, if it was a gun that had a different design, we could just say she built it or had it built. Yeah. But it was clearly one of Batman's, so Robin gave it to her? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but my biggest gripe with this episode... Oh, and Batgirl is innocent. She was acting under coercion. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, we'll just believe you. You're free to go. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with the Gotham City Police Department? Well, obviously, when you need caped crusaders to stop criminals, there's a lot wrong with the police department. Okay, now, what I was saying earlier about Batman not being in this and ending the series on a Batgirl episode is I have to wonder if this was supposed to be a backdoor pilot into a new Batgirl cartoon. Like, they made this episode to show the Warner Brothers execs that they could pull off a 22-minute episode starring Batgirl and some of Batman's familiar faces without Batman actually being in the episode. Mm -hmm. I'm almost positive this was supposed to serve as, a, as what I called it, a backdoor pilot. Yeah, I could that... be wrong, but why else would you end the series this way if you weren't trying to 
to, to do something else with that character. No, you end with Batman. That's the name of the show. It's Batman the Animated Series, not Batgirl the Animated Series. Well, the only other, the only explanation I can think of for that is because we just saw Deep Freeze, and now we have Batgirl Returns. Next, uh, at least for us, is Sub-Zero, the movie. Right. Which centers around Mr. Freeze and Batgirl. Well, more Barbara Gordon more so than Batgirl, but... You know, maybe that's that. Maybe that's what they were doing. I can't comment because I've never seen Sub Zero. So when okay. we review that, that'll be the first time I'm seeing that. So I can't comment on on what you're saying there. Okay. I mean, well, that's maybe that's the right, only but, explanation I can offer. But that doesn't work for me because you know that Sub Zero comes didn't come till several years later. I mean, Gotham right. Knights was going on or was even over by the time Sub Zero. Uh, hit the the video market, so I, I'm not quite sure that's what they were doing there. Maybe they were. Who knows? Maybe Sub Zero well, was sitting in a drawer waiting to be distributed for three years. That that yeah. that could be the case, but I I don't know. Well, and then you take into account that the animation in Sub Zero is the same as the Batman the Animated Series and not Gotham Knights. Right, yeah, that's. Eh, that's that's what I'm going to go with for now. Okay. Just for now. We'll see what happens when we review Sub-Zero. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but anyways, back to this episode. Okay, when Selena and Batgirl go to the, the biker bar, when they're trying mm-hmm. to get some clues and they try to find the chemist guy, there's the one biker, he's really burly, he's wearing the, uh, the, the, the jean vest, and he's got a bandana. Is that the same burly biker who tried to beat up Sid the Squid? Yes, it is. I thought so. <laughs> I absolutely thought so, because I think he might even be the same. Um, remember in Trial, we saw some guys in the background who were clearly prison inmates, but they were at the asylum. And I mentioned right. there was one guy who had the orange shirt on, but there was torn sleeves, and he had a beard. That might even be the same guy there, but I can't say for yeah. sure. But this is definitely the same guy as the guy who beat up Sid the Squid. Or tried to, anyway. Right, yeah, yeah. The idiot who tried to pick a fight with Sid the Squid while all his... his uh, cronies were around him, yeah. <laughs> chanting his name. Okay, I'm, I'm glad I, I wasn't crazy when I noticed that, because I'm like... Oh, no, that is definitely the same guy. That's cool. If, if Even if that was just a coincidence, like they were just reusing a model and they didn't realize what they were doing, it's still cool to see characters, familiar faces like that, pop up from time to time. Because we've mentioned mm-hmm. this in the past before, where um, I thought I saw the wife from um, The Forgotten pop up again, um, who was the scrawny guy in The Forgotten, the little white guy? Oh, uh, Riley? Yeah. Remember, I thought he popped up in another episode at a protest. You know, So when they yeah. do that stuff, it's cool because, again, intentional or not, it provides a continuity, and it makes fans of the show, longtime viewers, go, hey, look at there's Riley, and there's the biker, and there's that guy's wife. You know, it, it just fleshes out the world a little more. Because that happens. Sometimes you're walking down the street, and you bump into someone that you used to work with. You know, and when you're watching a television show and that happens, you get that same feeling like, hey, I recognize that person. This this makes this episode a little better because of it. At least I think so. But that said, I got to mention one of my bigger gripes with this episode. The ending. Selena is taken by the cops. They drive about 10 yards. She throws the cops and their guns out of the car. She says, I said I'd let the police take me, but I didn't say how far. She starts to drive away in the squad car. Robin goes to run after her. 
Batgirl stops Robin and says, it's okay, there'll be another time. And the cops don't even chase after her either. Right, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, there'll be another time? This woman just got away with some, you know, expensive statue in a squad car after beating up some cops and after tricking a vigilante into basically giving her the escape car and the statue that she wanted all along. And you're just going to let her go because there'll be another time? No, that means you ran out of time for the episode. And, I mean, I hate when old-school superhero cartoons and TV shows ended that way, you know? Oh, don't worry, we'll see him again. Yeah, and in the meantime, that guy you just let get away is going to kill 20 people. And in the meantime, this Catwoman that you let get away, she's going to steal several million dollars worth of jewels and cat-related gimmickry. You know, it's like, no, you stop her. It's, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous ending. And I think it hurts an otherwise decent episode. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That was it was pathetic, and it all started with uh, Catwoman just saying, "Oh well, you know, she wasn't really in on this." Yeah, and again, the- it's like, okay, we're going to take the word of a of a multi a multi time convicted uh, larcenist, mm-hmm. if that's a word, <laughs> uh, burglar. Let's just I'll say, fuck it. I'll say burglar. <laughs> there you I, go. There you go. Making uh, maybe I'm making up a word. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> Maybe you weren't. Maybe it's a real word. Who the hell knows? Maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just that whole oh, that whole last two or three minutes just was just awful. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And I mean, there, there's some some you know, other little things too, like when they get to Daggett's uh, safe house, and uh, Catwoman walks up to the safe where they think that this this jade statue or whatever is being housed. Selena pulls out a stethoscope and starts using it to hear the tumblers in the safe. Where'd she get the stethoscope? <laughs> Look at her costume. Where was she hiding a stethoscope? Like, where does she hide that whip, for God's sakes? So, oh, the whip hangs hangs by her side, clearly. We see that. Okay, sometimes. okay, I'll, I'll give it that. I, okay, I, I overlooked but, that. But still, where, where is she pulling the stethoscope from? Just all of a sudden, she's Batman, and she's got some utility belt? I mean, did she steal it from Batgirl's belt? If they would have showed Batgirl giving it to her, I could buy it. But they didn't. She's just all of a sudden got a stethoscope on, and she's using it on a safe. Come but why on. would Batgirl have a stethoscope? Exactly. It doesn't make sense no matter how you cut it. It's It's silly. But I thought... You know, Daggett was really brutal in this one. Oh, Because yeah. Batgirl's like, what are you going to do, dangle us over the acid? And he's like, no. You, you, you superheroes have a tendency to get away. He's like, I'll just have my men shoot you and throw you into the fats. It's like, whoa, that's brutal. Okay. He just mentioned <laughs> murdering these two women and then dissolving their bodies in acid. It's like... To get rid of the evidence. That is a harsh line. And I appreciate the fact that they let a villain actually say he's going to kill them. Not just, you know, again, dangle them over vats. But no, I'm going to shoot you. And then we're going to get rid of your bodies. And that's it. Yeah, they don't disguise them as saying, oh, we're going to have, I'm going to rip you to shreds. Right. I'm going to destroy you or something equally euphemistic. No, it's, I'll have my men shoot you. Shoot I mean, you? Yeah, they're dead. Now, the problem with that, though, is he says that, but why did he even, like, okay, what I'm trying to get at is, when he and his men stumble upon the two ladies, they've got their guns, or Daggett has a gun drawn, and his two henchmen I don't think had any guns. So Daggett could have blown them away right there in the room with the safe. 
But instead, the two men advance on the women. And then, next thing you know, they're up on the scaffolding. And that's when he delivers the, I'll just have my men shoot you line. Well, why didn't you shoot them in the face when you had the opportunity, you moron? Because he had to reveal his grand scheme. I understand that. I know (laughs) I know what they were doing. And I know why they can't kill the characters. But it's one of those fatal flaws where it's like, uh, if you're going to say that you're going to shoot them and then dump their bodies in acid, you should have shot them five minutes ago when you had the chance to, when you had the drop on them. But now they're going to have the chance to get out of these ropes and stop you. It's it's just, I don't know, it's just a little irksome when, when that happens. No, as I, much as I appreciate the line, it's still irksome to me. Well, and he could have unmasked Batgirl just to see who the hell she was, too. Yeah. I, he, knows, he knows that Selena Kyle under the Catwoman mask, right. but who the hell is this Batgirl chick? Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just for the hell of it, he could have unmasked her. But no, no. why would you do no. that? Can't do that. That would be too logical. Yeah. Now... Thank you for that. Speaking of logic, how did Selena know to leave the note at the college that Barbara attends to attract the attention of Batgirl? Yeah. Now, you said the jade cat thing, whatever, was stolen from the school? I thought it was stolen from a museum. Or was it a museum that was attached to the school? It's either that or it was just some exhibit in their, like, art wing or something. I know it said Gotham University somewhere in there. Okay. Area. Well, even if that's the case, and it was a museum at the school or just on exhibit at the school, fine, that's 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 A-OK. But how would Selena know to leave the note there? Because for all she knows, Batgirl goes to school two states over and just happens to patrol in Gotham. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah, there, there was no logic behind that. It's like, oh, because she was at that scene, because she was patrolling that museum or exhibit or whatever, I'm going to leave a note at that school. What? There were so many other ways those two could have hooked up again besides that rather illogical way. Well, not to mention that she would have had to have left dozens of notes all over the campus just to make sure that she saw it. Right. But no, Batgirl just stumbles across the one and only that she One (laughs) note. Like, no, it would have been hilarious if a whole bunch of girls or just people showed up on the pier that night. Hey, I got your note! <laughs> <laughs> Captain was like, who the hell are you? Yeah. Now, what about that opening with the kiss, or the attempted kiss, between Batman and Batgirl in oh, the dream yeah. sequence? Wow. It's, uh, it's animated well. <laughs> yeah. Especially the silhouette with the moonlight, but it's kind of creepy. Yeah, how old is she and how old is he? Yeah, hmm. I mean... I mean, I understand why she fantasized about, you know, a dark, mysterious guy, but it's still really creepy. Especially the way he talks in the dream. Yeah. It's like, whoa, no, I don't want to hear this. I'm okay <laughs> now that you saved me. You know, like, oh, no, no, Oh, bet. Kill it, kill it with fire. <laughs> so I have to take back what I said. Earlier I said, you know, Batman doesn't appear in this episode, but there you go. He's in the opening dream sequence. The yeah. lusty dream sequence at that. It's like, Batgirl. Oh, Barbara, Robin. what are you doing? You know, someone, yeah. not, not Batman. Come on, it's Batman. Come on, Dick Grayson's the cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> He'll make you laugh. He fights with fish. <laughs> yes, Batman will just just break your heart and brood all the time. <laughs> okay, I think we can end that episode on that note right there. <laughs> uh, unless you have more to say about Batgirl. No, 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 that's, that's, that's great. Okay, so <laughs> on to our scores then, yes? 
Yes. Okay, so Harley's Holiday. What do you give this one? I gave that an 8. I give this one a 9. I actually contemplated giving it a 10, as a matter of fact. Hmm. Okay, Lock Up? Lock Up. I gave that a 4. I gave that one a 5. Oh, boy, make them laugh. Ugh, God, a 2. I'm going to be extremely generous and give this one a 4. But when we do our episode where we're going to look back, this one may mm-hmm. come down to a three. You know what? Fuck it. It's coming down to a three right now. Okay. So I don't need Good to look man. back at that one. <laughs> Deep freeze. Uh, you know, this This was going along great until the, the uh, last five, seven minutes, which really took off the grade. I'm going to give it a 6.5. I gave it a six because I agree with everything you said right there. Great leading up to the moment where Freeze decides to team up with them. And lastly, Batgirl returns. Uh, just too many problems for me. I'm going to give it just a slightly above average grade of six. And from me, it gets a seven. Home again, home again, jiggity jig. Not for too long, though. Miss Vreeland dropped the kidnapping charges. With a little more hard work, you should be ready to re-enter society for good. Yay. There's one thing I gotta know. Why'd you stay with me all day, risking your butt for someone who's never given you anything but trouble? I know what it's like to try and rebuild a life. I had a bad day, too, once. Nice guys like you shouldn't have bad days. Emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.